Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Nothing to going on tonight. No rooting interest for Bulldog fans out there, I guess, in many respects. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a couple of games tonight in the SEC men's tournament. We'll break that down a little bit later in the, in the show. But uh, we had, you know, baseball last night. We've got uh, men's basketball on Thursday night. Of course, uh, you know, baseball Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And hopefully we still have some men's basketball to talk about. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could do that getting into Friday? be great. Need to win that ball game on Thursday. But, uh Bulldogs uh, take care of uh, Valparaiso last night. We're going to talk about that on the day show. <clears throat> the reality of it is, is you know, Bulldogs baseball has been so inconsistent uh, this year. But we've put together back-to-back, you know, pretty complete games in many respects. And so, you know, the hope is we're still getting better. We bring in a Lipscomb team this weekend that, um, you know, we should be able to handle. Let's be honest about that. And, and as I mentioned on the show Monday evening, you know, ordinarily you schedule some, uh, you know, cupcakes, and I hate to say it in those terms, but you know, early on, you know, you play some teams uh, to kind of get a sense of yourself. Bodwood State playing Arizona State in the second weekend, and then going to the Frisco Classic this weekend. A bit of an anomaly in the schedule uh, is you play a team that um, ordinarily maybe you'd play in week two. Uh, so we need to get fat this week. We've talked about that. You know, it seems like every week we drop. One game we shouldn't drop. You know, we, we first week of the year we thought, hey, we should sweep VMI. We go two out of three. The next week it's like, hey, we need to go no worse than four and one. We go three and two. And then last week we wanted to go three and one. We go two and two. So we've got to make up some games here. Hopefully we can do that this week. And the reality of it is, is you know, Mississippi State baseball should go four and zero when you're playing Valpo. And Lipscomb, you may not know this, Mississippi State six and zero all time again against Lipscomb. Now 3-0 all-time against Valpo. Uh, Bulldogs have not played Lipscomb uh, in about 10 years, I guess 2012. So 11 seasons ago was our last meeting with them. But we are 6-0 and uh, hope, to, hope to be 9-0 against them uh, a little bit later in this uh, week. But uh, rain could be an issue this weekend. You know, I, I, I always say that the 10-day uh, the forecast on the phone is kind of the ruin of modern-day society. 
You know, we make our plans on that more times than not. It doesn't work out, especially with baseball. Weather's so unpredictable in the spring. There are a lot of times we'll get that 10-day forecast, and it's like, oh, I hope we can get a game in next weekend, and then we get them all in with not even a drop of rain. It's just kind of how life works sometimes. But uh, could be an issue. As we get closer, we'll watch that. I mean, it's just Wednesday today. A lot changes when it comes to southern weather, as you guys are all well aware. But uh, nice night at the ballpark last night. And a really good situation, too, for the Bulldogs to kind of handle things as well as they have. All right, let's 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 uh, take care of uh, the Bulldog Burger Company, right? I love Bulldog Burger Company. You should, too, if you don't already. It's a great place to do business, a great place to work, a great place to have a night out with friends and or family. Maybe it's uh, girls' night. Maybe it's guys' night. You can go out there and you can uh, use that full-service bar, have a nice meal, have some app appetizers i would encourage you to get the spring rolls whether you're having a full meal or just having a uh a little bit of a snack yeah it's good stuff three great locations to serve you university drive here in star vegas gloucester street there in tupelo and then in the roots and flowwood area lake harbor drive now we talk about these tap takeovers we've got one coming up in two weeks two weeks on the, the 22nd of march you're going to have uh the memphis made brewers come in to Tupelo. We had a tap takeover down at Ridge, and Now we've got one coming up in Tupelo. Again, that's two weeks. And so uh, five to eight, and Andy from the Memphis Made Brewing Company will be on hand there. Going to give away some uh, pine glasses and some other materials there, some shirts and things like that. They're going to have five products that you can sample while you're there. The Plaid Attack, that's a limited edition Scottish ale, clocks in at 6.2%. They say it's a solid malt backbone from Maris Otter Crystal Chocolate and a dash of smoked cherry wood malts. That's interesting, right? I don't drink, but maybe you can go check it out and I can live vicariously through you. They're also considering the, the Goner Bra and in Memphis as truck. The two best beverages in the world are coffee and beer, so why not put them together? They partner with the French Truck Coffee to bring you the Memphis as Truck, a coffee stout with uh, Casa Gash Coffee. Forgive me if I mispronounced that. The folks at French Truck uh, turned these Ethiopian beans into a cold brew that was blended into a stout of oatmeal and chocolate with roasted malts. It's like breakfast in a glass, 5.9%. So maybe at least wait till uh, noon, at least maybe brunch, right? Reality of it is. It sounds like a tasty beverage. Dockside, Prince Mango. So a lot of options for you there. Again, we'll talk about that as we get a little bit closer. But a tap takeover at the Tupelo Bulldog Burger location on the 22nd of this month. Be sure to make plans. Uh, Many of you are looking for things to do. And uh, that may be a good night to get out and go do something. And then, you know, so many people are like, you know, Steve, I I like to eat local. I like to shop local. Uh, Now you can drink local and support some uh, up-and-coming independent breweries. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's break down this ball game. It wasn't much of a ball game in the end, but it was awfully interesting early on. You know, one of the things we talked about Monday is, you know, this is a team that walks a lot. And then you've got Bradley Lofton, a guy that walks a lot as well. He walked a handful last night, and that's something that's got to get better. Got to get better. He leads the team now with 24 punch outs, but just 16 walks too. And so 
Got to get those free passes down. But uh, a good start to the first inning. It's a 1-2-3 inning. He gets Hannes to strike out swinging. Tucker strikes out looking. And then Schmack is a guy that he's kind of been their dude. You get him to strike out swinging. The ball gets loose, and uh, Luke throws him out at first. So you strike out the side there in the first. And you're thinking, okay, this is a good start. Let's go put some runs on the board. Amani Larry with a single to right center to open things up. Then Colton Ledbetter walks. We're thinking, hey, you know, first and second here. Nobody out. Some bad luck for the Bulldogs. We hit a ball on the nose right back up the box. Bryce Chance puts it in play. Uh, They grab it unassisted double play there. Larry goes to third. And, again, I'm a proponent of small ball. I know many people say, Steve, the analytics, Yeah, I think sometimes you can analyze your way into a loss. To me, the smart baseball play here is to bunt them across. And I, I, again, I'm not second guessing; I'm first guessing. I, I I always believe in those situations, especially early on, especially with a young pitcher on the hill. You want to get him some runs early, give him a little bit of a cushion there. But a bit unlucky. We hit a ball hard there. I mean, you know, and give them some credit for their advanced scouting. They had the guys positioned exceptionally well. They turned a double play. Well, then they walk Luke Hancock on four pitches, and then uh, uh, Dakota Jordan. Uh, grounds out to third base. They force a runner at second. So, you know, we get three guys on, but don't get anybody in. Benefit of a couple couple of walks here, but we don't make them pay. I mean, how many times that happened for us? We walk two in an inning, and we give up a run. Well, we don't here. And, again, a bit unlucky. Could we, could we hit a ball on the screws right there? And you start thinking, man, you know, is, is it, is it going to come? I even asked them on us about that in postgame. Do you begin to ask yourself, hey, it's just a matter of time? Or is man, is it just not our night? And you don't want to make that kind of declaration in the first inning. But, uh, again, state with traffic on the bases there in the first. All right, so we come out there in the second, immediately walk Winfro on uh, five pitches. Renfro, excuse me. And then we pick him off. And so good job there by Lofton. And then it's a case swinging of Scrine. And then we get Mock at the ground out to the pitcher. So he's faced the minimum through two. We talked about that. Uh, with Sanchi over the weekend, Gerangelo Sanchi, according to him. Um, you know, you get through that order the first time through, facing the minimum, you start feeling good about life because you're beginning to shorten the game. Our bottom of second stayed again with traffic on the bases here. Hunter Hines singles to right field, and don't let that guy get going. <laughs> I'm just telling you, don't let him get going. It's good to see him swinging it well, too, and it looks like that little hamstring issue he had seems to be okay. But uh, singles the ball to right field, hits it well. Kellum strikes out swinging, and then Lane walks. And Lane, again, an offensive catalyst. Here we are, hitting an eight-hole to, uh, on Tuesday night. And David Marchand, who made his Mississippi State debut, and a very impressive debut. You can see why he was so highly recruited. And the fact that State had to kind of you know, hold their breath through the Major League Baseball draft because he was getting some calls there on day three. Mershon comes up and absolutely tattoos this baseball. And again, give Valpo some credit for being positioned well. It's snagged from the air by the shortstop, and he steps on the bag on a double play there. You, you felt like that ball was destined for center field off the bat. But what I like about it is the lights just don't appear to be too bright for Mershon. He goes up there, takes a couple pitches, fouls one back, and then lines one really hard back up the box, and you don't get anything to show for it. So it's two, basically, two double plays in the first two innings where State has really made solid contact and gotten nothing from it. And, again, it happens once. You think, hey, it's a matter of time. It happens twice. You start thinking, man, maybe it's not our day. Bulldogs didn't believe that, though. 
Again, we open up the third with the leadoff walk. And then there's a little number out there towards the mound. Lofton goes to field. It looks like he's in good shape to at least get the runner at first. He slips and falls. Well, that's a free out that we give up right there. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just one of those things that happens at times. And then Valpo does the baseball play here. Runners at first and second. Nobody out. They run the sack bunt here. Put two guys in a scoring position with less than two outs. And then what happens? Leadoff hitter Hannes flies out to right field. Everybody tags, moves up. It's a one run. It's a one run ball game now. One nothing. Valpo. We walk Tucker, and again two walks in the inning. Wild pitch allows a run to score, and the runner to move up to second. And then Smack strikes out swinging. So I go back to this for those of you that are like, oh Steve, I hate bunting. I hate short ball. I hate the small game. Whatever. Look at what happens here in the third. If they don't bunt those guys across. They don't score. Right or wrong? Now, of course, you can find other examples and say, well, Steve, they did the This is the baseball play. When you're out there, especially when you've got a guy like Bradley Lofton who's a freshman, you're still kind of acclimating to college life. You get runners on first and second. You bunt them across. You give up the out, yes. But now I've got two runners in scoring position. I have a variety of ways to score because there's only like 17,000 ways to score from third. Two of those are sack flies and wild pitches. That's what happens. So you put these guys in scoring position. Again, you don't sacrifice them over. Let, let's say Ryan Kays and then Hannes flies out. Well, then you tag and go. Now you get runners to second, third. So maybe you get the one run. But you, you improve your probability of scoring when you sacrifice those guys across, especially when you lead off hitter because you got two, three, and four coming up. And you got to think those guys are hitting two, three, and four for a reason. So they make the baseball play and it pays off for them. It is a 2-0 ball game, uh, midway to the third. All right, they end up making a change here and bring in Jablonski in place of McCluskey. We weren't sure how long McCluskey would go because he's normally a weekend guy. But, uh, you know, give him credit. Even though he had a little traffic on the base pass, uh, you know, he makes the pitches and, and really got some good defensive play to get him out of some trouble. It's not like he just rolled up ground balls. Those, guys were, those balls were lasers. All right, bottom a third, Amani Larry flies out the center, led better strikes out swinging, and you start thinking, okay, well, you know, we're going to go quickly here. And then Bryce Chance, and I love him hitting three-hole. He's not the traditional three-hole hitter. This is a guy that when, when we have runners on base and two outs and Bryce Chance steps up to the plate, I expect this to score. Now, the situation is much different here, but Chance lines the first pitch back up the middle. And then Luke Hancock doubles down the line at third and out. What's interesting about that, too, we had some really big hits going backside. A lot of people are working that shift against our left-handers, against Hunter Hines and Kellum Clark and Luke Hancock specifically. And then Luke is kind of inside-outs a pitch just inside the third base bag. I would have sent Bryce Chance right here. I would have, and he may have been out, but I would have sent him. That ball kind of careams off the uh, the facade there in front of the berm. It's a long run for the fielder, and it's not, a, it's not a, an easy throw. Uh, but it's also not a difficult throw. It's kind of one of those intermediate throws, and he's got to pick that ball up off the ground and kind of on a dead run and throw it home. I would have sent him. They didn't. And then DJ flies out at center field. So it's still a 2 nothing ball game, but against State with traffic on the bases. A bit of a two-out rally there. And two-out base hits, as our friend Chad Dacus says, that's the key to life. That's the key to life. But we don't complete the rally. That's okay. You start thinking, all right, it's just a matter of time before we cash in here. Okay, top of four. You know, uh, 
we don't let, allow the leadoff runner to get on here, right? First time in uh, three innings. Renfro flies out to left. Scrine singles to left field. Micah strikes out looking. He didn't like the call. He was absolutely mistaken. I think he's more frustrated with himself than he was the actual call because it was clearly a strike. Scrine then goes to second on a wild pitch. Thurston walks, but we get uh, Reinardson to ground out to short on a full count. So that could have been, you know, a negative situation there. But instead of us loading the bases here, we get the big punch out to get out of it. And uh, when you're getting 11 Ks, you know, some of them are going to be timely. Bottom of four, this is when things break open here. Hines flies out the center. And then Kellum Clark steps up. We talk about working backside. There's a great job here. Hammers the ball to left field. Forsyth and singles to the shortstop. This ball's hit on the nose, too. Shortstop has to try to make a sliding stop, and he can't do it. Doesn't get the hop he needs. It bounces off his forearm into center field. Everybody's safe. Mershon comes up again for the second time with runners at first and second with just one out. This time, he lays down a near-perfect bunt. Third base is playing a couple steps behind the bag. Mershon sees it, lays it down, pushes down third baseline. You want to get it by the pitcher there if you can. He does. Now bases are loaded. When you've got that kind of weaponry in the lineup, especially in the nine hole, it makes life a whole lot easier for the leadoff hitters. They get a chance to hit against a guy in the stretch and with runners in scoring positions. That's it's a great situation there. Amani Larry comes up, flies out to left center. We tag and score. It's two one ball game. Led better than singles through the left side on an 0-2 count, mind you. The game is tied. The throw goes to third. I'll be honest with you. Initially, I thought Mershon was out. They called him safe. They review it. They say the call is confirmed. He did get a tag on his foot, but it's difficult to tell where his hand was in relation to the bag at the time the tag was applied. They say the call is confirmed, which means that clearly he did make it rather than the call being stand. Call stand, excuse me, or stood. My goodness, if I could speak English today. Okay. Runners on the corners now. And then... um, I guess we're in second, third, excuse me. And um, I lose my train of thought sometimes. You have to forgive me. Chance singles to center field, and uh, Ledbetter and Mershon score. It's a 4-2 ball game. Uh, Bryce Chance still second. They throw the ball on the center field. Then Hancock doubles to right center. Chance scores. They make a change here. And then DJ walks, and there's a wild pitch on ball four. So DJ has to kind of get out of the way there as a right-handed hitter. So he does. The run scores at 6-2, then Hunter Hines grounds out to second on the first pitch. But six runs across the plate uh, there in the bottom of four. Now, how many times over the weekend did Mississippi State put runs on the board and then immediately go give them back? We talked about it on Monday's show. All weekend long, you couldn't go put up a crooked number and then throw up a zero. Well, we do. One of the better innings of Bradley Lofton's young career at Mississippi State. He strikes out the side. He gets Ryan on three pitches, Hannah's on three pitches, and then Tucker on five. So an 11-pitch inning. That's what you want. You want dominant pitching, especially after a scoring inning because it gets you right back in the dugout. You keep pressure on them. And how many times have you been on that end of it? You're playing baseball. It's like, okay, all right, let's, let's go get even. Let's get one of those runs back. And then you don't. And the next thing you know, you're right back on defense. And they have a chance to start scoring again, which is precisely what happens. Kellum Clark works for a base on balls here. Forsyth K's looking. I thought the I thought strike three 
was right down the middle. I thought the first, the one before was a little bit up. Mershon then singles to left field, advancing Clark to second. You see Mershon, again, three at-bats. He's put the ball in play all three times. Amani Larry walks on four pitches to load the bases, and then Ledbetter flies out to left. So it's an RBI sack fly, but it is now a 7-2 ball game. And again, walks instrumental in this. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. You start walking people at some point, the chickens come home to roost. Bryce Chance flies out to center field. It's now a 7-2 ball game. Lofton comes out for the six, his final inning of work here, and has to face 3-4-5. He's a strikeout of Schmack, walks Winfro, strikes out Scrine, and then Maka flies out to left field. So it goes to the heart of the order there rather efficiently. You do give up the walk, and that's got to get better. It does. But uh, these guys not making good contact on Bradley Lofton. And that's part of kind of keeping the ball down. You tell young pitchers, keep the ball down, keep the ball down. When you look at, at Lofton, where is he missing? He's missing down, right? He's missing down. That's a big part of it. Big part of it. So if you're going to miss, you want to miss down. But the bottom line is Lofton's kind of growing up before our eyes. We knew that he was a dude. He's becoming a college dude. Our bottom of six, State removes all doubt here. And, again, this is what you do when you get people on the ropes. you got to keep stacking runs. you got to keep putting pressure on them. We do. Hancock grounds out to second base. Jordan then singles to third base. And this is like a chopper here. It's just kind of a wild play there. I think they initially ruled it an error. The guy had to go elevate. And, again, Maybe I'm just too old school for this new uh, new age scoring, but if a guy – an error is when a guy doesn't make a routine play. When a guy like Saturday, that they, they, they poor kid from uh, Cal, they saddled him with an error. He's on a dead run at full sprint into the wind, and a ball gets off his glove, and they call that an error. And it wasn't like he was under it. I mean, it's like he's lucky to even get there. And they saddled him with an error. And, and this is where they called this an error. They go back and fix it. Uh, DJ hits the big chopper. The guy has to go elevate. Can't, can't come down with it cleanly. That's a hit. It's a hit. And then Hunter Hines homers to right field. Homers to right field. And then Kellum Clark back-to-back. Homers to right field. The, the ball that Hunter Hines hit, absolutely ridiculous. And the one Kellum hit was a laser, too. Uh, Forsyth is then hit by the pitch. I don't think it was retaliatory. I just think they were missing spots there. And then Lane gets thrown out stealing, and he was out. Kind of question the call sending him there. But I like the fact that we're remaining aggressive. Mershon then walks. So he reaches base safely three times in four plate appearances. Larry then walks, and you think, hey, we're fixing tack on some more, but Ledbetter grounds out the first unassisted. So bottom of six ends with stayed up 10-2. to two. So we come back out for the seventh, and that's the, the night's over for Bradley Lawson, and we're going to detail his numbers here. But, uh, you know, Colby Holcomb is a guy we were counting on a great deal. You know, his first outing was not good. Uh, he, he a victim of some bad luck against Oklahoma, three errors in the inning. I guess maybe it was Ohio State, but uh, three errors. Terrible. You know, he gets – there's two outs in that ball game in that inning, and he gets multiple ground balls and can't get out of the inning. He's doing his job. So a bit of a tough lock at times for Colby, but Colby's going to be really good for us. We need him to be because I want to hear Colt the personality at Duke Noble Field a bunch of times because when I hear that, I want to know that we're winning. But Holcomb comes in as a good job, and we, and we, we kind of substitute liberally here, bringing Wolf Hole, Connor Heizag, Nate Chester, uh, Mershon moves over to short. 
And we get a ground out to short. And we get Reinertson to uh, strike out swinging. They pinch hit for Warfield, and it's a strikeout looking. Kind of an extended at bat there. But Holcomb, a 1-2-3 inning. You, say you get Lofton out of there. You get the hard-throwing lefty out of there. You bring in the uh, imposing right-hander, and it's just kind of more of the same. All right, State ends this ballgame here in the bottom of seven. Uh, Bryce Chance walks, and then Hancock walks. We pitch hit Aaron Downs for Jordan, and he walks. Now the bases are loaded, and you start looking at this thing and start thinking, you know what, if there is a 10-run roll in effect, and there should be, we might be about to hit it. They, uh, they make a pitching change. Von Siebert comes in, strikes out looking on three pitches. Then Connor Hyzak walks, which forces the run in. And then Nate Chester rips one through the left side against a drawn-in infield, makes it a 12-2 ball game. Another run comes in and scores. It doesn't count. It's academic at that point. It is a 10-run rule, which means Valpo has been 10-run ruled in back-to-back ballgames. It's good to see the Bulldogs get out and stretch. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Legs a little bit. Valpo falls to six and four. State rises to eight and five. Bradley Lofton credited with his first collegiate win. So congratulations to the Lofton family. He was kind of saddled with a loss earlier this year. He was far from the issue. But look at the numbers here. Amani Larry is one for two. Colton Ledbetter one for three, but did have a couple of RBIs and a walk. Uh, Bryce Chance, two for four with a couple of ribbies. Luke Hancock, two for three. Two walks also for the captain. Dakota Jordan, one for three, also with a walk. Hunter Hines, two for four. Had a couple of ribeye stakes with that big, long uh, shot to right field. Kellum Clark, uh, two for three and also with a walk. And uh, really some quality of bats from Kellum. I think he's starting to kind of get locked in now. He's had a couple of big home runs here the last two ball games. Lane Forsythe, one for two, also with a walk. When you're getting that kind of production in the bottom third, get a chance to turn the order over, you feel pretty good about that. Nate Chester, of course, one for one. David Marchand, uh, two for three. And, of course, he did have the walk. And so you start looking at the Bulldog regulars and the Bulldog lineup. Uh, granted, it's not a powerhouse pitching staff by Valpo. 
but they, they do have some guys, uh, you know, with some uh, level of experience. But uh, listen, this is not a team we're going to look up at the end of the year and say, man, that, that was a big turning point for us. It's just not. We went out there and took care of business as we should. And uh, what's interesting, too, we hadn't talked about these numbers in a while because it seems like, uh, you know, people have so many negative things to say about our players, and then when things get turned around, they, 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 they kind of disappear. But that Lane Forsyth, the much maligned Lane Forsyth, hitting 289 right now, 289. That was the big thing early on, right? Lane's not hitting. And then he wasn't playing defense, right? Not the way that he should. It's one of those things you look at and you start thinking, okay, you got to do one or both, right? If you're not going to hit, you got to be able to be elite defensively. And we were making mistakes. Let's look at some game-by-game numbers here with, uh, with um, Lane Forsythe. All right, so Lane opens up the year going one for three, hitting 333. Small sample size, right? Goes 0 for 4 the next game. He's down to 143. 0 for 4 the next game. He's down to .091. He goes 0 for 2 against UL Monroe. He's down to .077. So four games into the year, we're ready to uh, clean out his apartment, key his car, and run him off to baseball team, right? That's what people expected. That's what we're talking about. Not, not to mention that, um, you know, he'd made uh, three errors. I don't know if you guys know this. Since the second game against Louisiana Monroe, Lane Forsyth has been perfect defensively. Oh, Steve, no, 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 yes. Yes, he is, he's been perfect defensively. Just kind of counting down here for you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive games without an error. Eight. He had four in the first five. He's had zero in the last eight. So let's get our facts straight. In addition to that, after bottoming out at .077, he goes two for two against UL Monroe in the Wednesday game. Comes back and goes one for three against Arizona State, one for three again, one for three, then two for three against Southern Miss, one for two against Ohio State, one for four against Oklahoma, goes 0 for 3 against California in the game that we won, and then 1 for 2 last night. So, you start doing the math here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He's hit safely in 8 of 9 games. So now he's not committing errors. And now he's starting to put the ball in play. And his batting average has risen to 389. Now, he was as high as 310. Of course, going 0 for 3 against California kind of hurt him a little bit. But now all of a sudden he's playing good defense and he's contributing offensively. And he's got 14 walks on the year. And, and that's big out of your nine-hole hitter because he's turning the order over and giving your guys a chance to hit against guys in a stretch. What's interesting, and maybe you've uh, maybe, maybe you've kept up. You know, maybe maybe you haven't been caught up in uh, you know the message board banner and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Lane Forsyth currently tied for the lead. And walks. Oh, you didn't know. Huh? I'm sorry. You know, maybe Twitter is not always the best source of information. Look at Elaine Forsyth, too. On base percentage now 491. That'll play. Nine-hole hitter getting on half a time. Turning the order over. I like it. 
All right, so again, this is not a uh, Lane Forsyth apology show, but I think it's important to kind of look at the numbers. And, of course, the first stolen base, uh, first caught steal he had all year came last night. Bulldogs doing a good job running the base. It's 22-24. And you know, people are like, oh, but look at what we're giving out. Well, we've given out 26-29. So despite the fact that we had that absolutely abysmal game where it seemed like everybody, including the student section, stole bases, we've given out 26 stolen bases. We've stolen 22. We'll fix it. We're getting there. We're getting there. I don't think this team is far off. I know some other of you do. There are some people, it's like, and it's interesting too, and I don't want to get too personal with this. But I go back to the fact that uh, they get up like, oh, you know, Steve, there's this, there's that. Hey, the same people that wanted to to fire, I mean, it's like, it's the same people over and over again. It's like, okay, we need to fire Joe. We need to fire Mike Leach. Need to fire Ben Howen. Need to fire Nikki McCray-Penson. Need to fire Lamonis. Need to fire Dr. Keenum. It's like, I don't know if you know this, but we're never going to go undefeated in every sport. Not going to happen. There's going to be ups and downs. We're in the most competitive neighborhood in all of college athletics. We have one of the smallest budgets. I'm not making excuses for anybody. But the answer is not always firing anybody. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you need to fire somebody. This isn't one of those cases, period. You can continue to post your stuff. I'll continue to post mine. I go back to something Dan Mullen said years ago, and there's a reason he's in the position he's in and the reason there's a position we're in, the reason we're in. There is a reason we're in the position we're in, right? Yeah, we're not charged in making these decisions. You know, Mississippi State has 15 hits last night, 12 runs, and you say, hey, you expect that. You know, hey, listen. You know, Valpo's a good mid-major team, but Mississippi State is considered a college blue blood. We should be able to go smash these type of guys, right? That's how it should work. And we did. And we got to get fat this week. I'll say it all week. You got to eat when food's on the table. This is it for us. We got to go get fat this week, get ourselves some juice. You know, we head to Biloxi next week. Those should be some winnable games for us as well, but you start looking at this and you hey, maybe we found some things in Frisco. I know we, I'm hopeful we left some of these walks in Frisco. We played a complete game on Sunday, played a complete game last night. I know it was a seven-inning game, but we were good in every aspect. Now we prepare. They got the day off today. Lamontis told everybody stay away from the stadium, just take the day off, and then we'll come back and play Lipscomb. Now we'll preview you know, the Lipscomb Bisons in depth on the uh, the Friday show, but uh, they're five and seven right now. Five, and they've got uh, they got a ball game tonight against Belmont. They may be five and eight by the time they get here. And uh, again, we'll talk about that on, on Friday show. But you know, when you look at you know, these guys took two out of three from Notre Dame beginning of the year. Now Notre Dame obviously came here and lost a super regional to us in twenty twenty one. They beat Tennessee last year. You know what kind of program that is. You know, Ling Jarrett had built a great program there, but you know, before moving on. But uh, you know, but since then it's kind of been difficult. You know, they take they they beat Southern Indiana. They take uh, two out of three from uh, University of Illinois Chicago. They lose at Tennessee Tech, and then they get swept by Auburn. Then they lose to Georgia Tech. You know, so they enter tonight's game on a five-game losing streak. So you start the year feeling pretty good about yourself taking down Notre Dame, and then you lose 
you know, five in a row. And, of course, all those games are on the road. They'll be at home tonight against Belmont, against the Bruins. And then they'll hit the road to Mississippi State. So, you know, we'll see how things go. And, again, we'll, we'll break that down further on Friday's show. But we need to sweep. And that always sounds like I'm most sacrilegious to say that. We need to sweep, period. We need to sweep, and we need to do it without walking the ballpark. We don't need an, a repeat of a Southern Miss win. Hey, you'll take the dub, but we don't need to go out there and have the same issues, even though we win. We need to go play clean and pitch clean and not issue a bunch of free passes. And our pitching, as erratic as it has been at times, should be good enough to go out there and mow Lipscomb down. And all of a sudden you think, okay, if we win those three, then you piece together a five-game winning streak before you go to Biloxi. And we'll worry about Biloxi when we get to Biloxi. But those are some midweek games there that you really can ill afford to lose. You find a way to win those, and all of a sudden you got a seven-game streak heading into the road trip to Lexington. So it's all within our reach. We can do what we need to do. We just got to stop giving ball games away. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. Blair Chandler is a guy that knows how to get things done. 21 years of experience in the mortgage industry. Maybe the dream of home ownership has eluded you. Look no further than Blair Chandler. If anyone can get it done, it's Blair. Top 1% close ratio in the country in back-to-back years. Works for Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable lender. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction. I don't care who you are, where you're from. You stay in any industry for 20 years, you're getting things done. Nobody lets you hang around for two decades as a substandard employee. And that's, you know, Blair's a closer. Blair's a closer. And people said, Steve, I just don't want to get my hopes up again. And listen, I got it. I understand it. We've all been there at some point. But if you want to make this thing happen, you need to let Blair Chandler work with you. Let me give you Blair's number. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. You can call or text him today. That's his personal cell number. You're not going to have to go through you know, some big um, call center or anything like that. You go directly to Blair. You're going to have a personal relationship with Blair. He's going to guide you through this process from start to finish. And if there's any way your loan can be closed, Blair will be the guy to get it done for you. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. Mention to him you heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a $500 value. Again, that's 601-500-2344. All right. I don't know what's happening with Spotify. I think that maybe perhaps some of our lists are getting removed. I don't know. I think, tell Roy, I think maybe they get stale dated after a while. People told me no. That once you get it out there, it's out there forever. So maybe we've never done this. I believe we have. But we've had some people that have said, you know, I'll tell you this, there's only one. I would say, you know, when we did the raw list, R-A, raw, man, my, my inbox lit up. You know, people said, how did I miss this band? These guys are incredible. And they are. I love raw. I, oh, my gosh, do I love their band. I need to see them live at some point. I would say the only other new, r- relatively new modern rock band, even though they've been around now 10, 15 years, that you guys have responded to have been Hailstorm. And I'm confident we've done a list at some point. But you know what? They've released a couple of albums since then. So we're going to revise our top ten list. Because Roy thinks we haven't done them. I believe we have. He went looking for it. I don't know why. I think maybe somebody requested it. I'm a big Lizzie Hale fan. My wife and I have met her. She's very down to earth. Loves her fans. Uh, It's kind of like one of us that's just kind of living a dream. 
You know, it's like one of our people. One, like they just went and plucked somebody out of the rock crowd and put her up on stage. She just happens to be incredibly talented, an incredible singer. And uh, my interactions with her have been extremely positive. I'll tell you that. There's so many people that you meet. And, uh, I, you know, if somebody was rude to me, I would tell you. But um, you hear things from other people, and oftentimes I think it's maybe maybe it's you and not them. People are like, oh, this guy was rude to me. What, what do you expect? I mean, they're real people doing a real job. I mean, it's not like everybody's not on all the time. Like you see these sound bites on YouTube and you think, I want that same interaction. That doesn't always work that way. you got to give people a chance to be human. But uh, the small doses that I've been around Lizzie Hale, it's been very good. All right, so Hailstorm, of course, it's Lizzie and her brother, brother RJ on the drums. This band, uh, again, you know, not just what you'd expect from some people. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I love about Lizzie Hale is she gets out there on Twitter and she talks about being a freak and about, and freak in a good way, right? I don't just mean you know, in a sexual, inappropriate way, but she talks about being different and being yourself. And uh, she is a person more times than, you know, has really encouraged people like, hey, if you're having a problem, let me know what it is. She doesn't owe that to people. It's just kind of who she is. You would think somebody that's this big rock star. And I think she's the best rock singer since Janis Joplin on the female variety. I, I do. I absolutely love her voice. And, I, and that's not hyperbole. I truly believe that. I think she is phenomenal. Yes, she's better than Lita Ford. Yes, she's better than Joan Jett. And one of the reasons she's better than Joan Jett is because she re- records her own music. But here's my up-to-date top 10 list from Hellstorm. From the Back from the Dead album that came out late last year. And uh, I'm still kind of getting to know that one, but I really dig the song Legendary. And it's kind of about kind of historical women that have been leaders and have been exceptionally strong. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Cleopatra, people like that. You know, women that have made a difference in society around the world in time. And so it's, it's not a typical girl power song. It's kind of based on history. All right, number nine, one that's about a little bit of a tryst. Off the Vicious album, it's called Do Not Disturb. And uh, it's about a chance meeting, and it's about putting that Do Not Disturb sign on the door, right? And it's a lot, a lot of innuendo, and some of it's not really veiled. It's, uh, it's kind of a straight-ahead song there. You kind of know what's going on. Number eight, this one, maybe not the hit that some of the others on the list are, and they've had so many hits, you have to leave some of them off. This is one of my favorite Hellstorm songs, and uh, it's called I Like It Heavy. Now, it's not the big, uh, you know, maybe it hadn't the commercial success many of the other songs are, but I love this one because it's kind of a trip down memory lane for me. My favorite line in this song, and I get chills even repeating it to you guys, is when she says... Uh, since I was 13 years old, I've had my fist to the sky. That's how I felt too, man. I've been going to shows my whole life. You know, supporting a rock culture, supporting live music, being part of the family, being part of the movement. It's true. And so when I hear I like it heavy, the vocal on that is incredible. I love the guitar. I love the crunch on it. It's great. I think it should have been a bigger song. I think it should have been a bigger hit. So maybe you check it out. I like it heavy from Hellstorm. Number eight. Number seven, this goes back to, I guess, the second album that the uh, the Strange Case of. It's a song called I Get Off, and it's another one that's kind of laced with innuendo. And uh, you can check it out. I Get Off. It's probably one of those songs. It's, it's kind of like a Peep and Tom song, so it's kind of like a, it's a little bit creepy in some respects. 
Number six, I remember listening to this song. This is way back, like back in uh, maybe 15 when this song broke. You know, this is like in the infancy of all of the uh, the craziness that went on, you know, in the Hugh Freeze thing. And, you know, and, and then all of the, uh, you know, I was so upset about the, the fact that nobody in the in-state media would cover any of this stuff, you know, with the Ole Miss NCAA investigation. Even though there was evidence out there and uh, tried to pass that story along to people and they just wouldn't take it. But um, I remember I was on, on the way home from Charlotte after the Belk Bowl. And uh, this song came on and it just kind of struck me. It's like, you know what? I'm going to have to be, you know, I'm going to have to make a decision. Do I want this story to die? Are we going to make a big issue about it? Are we going to bring this thing to, to light? And this song kind of became a theme song for that, but it's a song called I Am the Fire. Uh, I love it. And some days when I need inspiration, I put it on. Number five, this goes back to the very beginning, that, that self-titled Hellstorm album. And uh, the, the, basically the chorus is I'm in love with somebody but it's not you. You know, it's, it's kind of like a slap on your face, but uh, it's still, it's a little bit clever. It's, it's a very catchy song. You can see why it was a hit. It's not you. Number four, one of my favorite songs in the catalog. Matter of fact, I just stumbled across this again a couple days ago. My wife and I were driving back from, uh, from Frisco and it just kind of came on Octane. We're serious XM Octane listeners. When I'm with her, I listen to more of the radio than I do, uh, you know, my Apple music. Usually when I'm driving on my own, I just put on a full album and just you know, kind of just settling for the journey, right? But she likes the variety. Like, she doesn't like to listen to the same artist over and over again. But um, be that as it may, the song Familiar Taste of Poison came on. I, and it is such a sensual song. And, it, of course, it's kind of about a bad relationship. You know, it's like the familiar taste of poison, right? It's like the person you kind of keep going back to or whatever. And um, there's one part she says, I don't, I don't want to be saved. You know, it's like there's this relationship. You know, it's not great for you but you just can't stay away. So familiar taste of poison. I, I love the vocal on it. I love the way the song is composed. There's so much about that song to like. Number three, and this is really, I think, when, you know, Lily Hale kind of, Lizzie Hale, excuse me, uh, kind of began to uh, exert her own character into this. And it's a song, uh, Freak Like Me. And it's not necessarily about innuendo. It's just about being an individual. It's like, I'm going to be my authentic self. And I uh, had the discussion, I guess it was Emily Bennett, that, uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but uh, we put out something, hey, but, you know, I'm just going to be me and I'm not going to apologize for it. That's, that's, that's just kind of how I feel too. And I don't expect people to be apologetic around me either. If you really believe something and you, you have passion about it, I, I, am, I am perfectly okay having that dialogue with you, even if I disagree with you. I don't need everybody to agree with me in order to feel good about my own takes, right? Sometimes I learn something. There are other people that say, oh, Steve, you're wrong about this. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I am. Maybe I am wrong here. I think that's a better part of maturity. I don't have the corner of the market on good ideas or good information. There are a lot of people out there that know more than me. I think accepting that and admitting that is a a very positive thing. But um, the song Freak Like Me is just one of those things. To me, it's, it's anthemic. It's like Lizzie Hale sitting up there saying, you know what? Hey, I'm different. I'm going to be me. A lot of people have looked down upon me and judged me for my values or whatever. And I'm just not going to be slowed down by that. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be a freak. And it reminds me that I didn't include this one. There's a song where she talks about that 
called uh, Can I Get an Amen, which is kind of tongue-in-cheek. All right, number two, <clears throat> I love this song, and I, I think that um, maybe it's a little bit contrived, to be quite honest with you. I think it's kind of written to be a radio hit. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, I love this song, and uh, it's called Here's to Us. I don't drink, but it talks about that, you know, let's raise a glass because the last few days have kicked my you-know-what, you know. Uh, it's a great song really about everything else that goes on in life. It's like what, what matters most are the people that are close to you, right? The people that you truly care about. Not these acquaintances that just kind of show up at work and, hey, let's go get a beer. You know, not those people. Listen, when you're fired, when you're, when you're fired or you've been laid off or you've moved on to another job or they've been promoted or whatever, you're not going to hear from those people again. It's not to say you don't make the most of your time with them, but goodness gracious, you don't make decisions based on those people. But this is here's to us, number two. And so Bulldog Vans, this is to us. Here's to us. Number one, though, and I think this may be one of those songs, too, that just kind of stays with you for a while. I remember the year this thing dropped. It was named the number one rock song in America. At the end of the year, multiple institutions, including Sirius XM Octane, named it the rock song of the year. It's pretty impressive. It's a song, and, and I love the, the way it opens up. It's all this attitude. It's one, two, one, two, three, four. And then, like, the guitar comes in, and it's, it's Lizzie counts them down, and then, like, you're on this journey. It's a great rocking tune called Love Bites, and so do I. I absolutely love it. I love the attitude in it. I love the female energy in it. I love the fact that Lizzie Hale is so incredibly amazing as a vocalist. And the fact that she's not scared to put herself out there. It's like, you know what? This is who I am. This is my personality. So here you go. It's not an act. This is my authentic self. And I'm going to sing about it. And there's, you know, I could have put 20, a list of 20 Hellstorm songs together. Lizzie Hale, I can tell you. And, and I listen to a lot of rock, right? I mean, there's a lot of people out there that I love, like Taylor Momsen, love her. I think Maria Brink is pretty good from in this moment. My wife's a bigger fan of them than I am. There's a lot of great female singers out there. There's none better than Lizzie Hale. And it's not just because she can do the operatic stuff and carry the long note. She's got some grit. She's got some gravel in her vocals. She has more range of anybody in rock music. And I think she is an iconic singer in rock music. If you're unfamiliar with Hellstorm, Lizzie will pull you in and keep you in. Like once you put on a few songs, like, hey, she really is good. You listen to this list, you're going to want to know more. I'm doing you a solid by turning you on the Hellstorm. And I've had so many people, when we've talked about them, like, Steve, I love, I love this band. Look, Hellstorm is incredible. How did I never hear about them? I don't know. I guess we don't listen to the same channels. But I've seen them in, in concert a handful of times. And every time I do, I come away even more impressed, not just with Lizzie, but with the band. And listen, Lizzie's not some eye candy up there just to front some heavy metal band. She is legit. She is the main attraction. She is the rocker. And I don't just mean because she's easy to look at. I mean, she, she's an attractive lady, but she's not Pamela Anderson or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. She is legit. She is a real rocker and uh, has a great message. And uh, again, some of it at times gets a little bit raunchy. And I, you know, I, listen, I get that aspect of it too. But there's no doubting her songwriting talent and her singing ability. And she is a killer guitar player on top of all of that. So enjoy your Hailstorm top 10 list today. Uh, be sure and check it out at uh, Dogmatic67 on Spotify. You can follow Roy on Twitter. 
also a dogmatic 6'7". He doesn't tweet out pictures of his food or anything like that, right? He's not. I mean, he's not going to be out there like shopping and you know, sends you oh, you know, gas is three twenty six today. That's not him. Really, about all he ever tweets about is Mississippi State and about the top ten list. So be sure and, and uh, check him out. And you can find our great list on Spotify at Dogmatic Six Seven. And that's one thing we've talked about here lately is some of the contemporary bands, like some of the bands that we really like, that maybe we did a top ten list with, uh, say, three years ago, have released one or two albums since then, so our top ten may be changing. So we may do like a top ten revisited, like we've done with Hellstorm here. And again, I believe, Roy doesn't think we did the list. I believe we did. And I don't know what happened to it, but we're happy to do it again and again, some new, some new tunes. And uh, check out their newest album, uh, "Back from the Dead." If you if you're if you're an old time Hellstorm listener, uh, go back. And those of you that, that were with us when we we saw, uh, gosh, who was it? I guess uh, Scrooge in the Coast here a few years ago when it was Shine Down, Papa Roach, and Paper Cup Massacre and, and Hellstorm. How much fun was that? You know for sure. But uh, thanks as always for your support on top ten list. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. You never know; we just might do it. And uh, again, I didn't give a name on the uh, Gary Rossington list because we had about a dozen people that reached out to me and said, hey, Steve, you got to do this. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Uh, so don't feel like don't get your feelings hurt. I just I didn't I didn't want to have like a top 10 list of top 10 uh, requesters. Right. So thanks, as always, for the support. And uh, be sure to let us know uh, what you want to hear in the future. All right, next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. If you're unfamiliar, let me encourage you, next time you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces. Great crew there. Everybody will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. Doing a great job for a great fan base, Campus Bookmart, a Stark billion institution. Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Pam Menyard, the whole crew there, they'll take care of you. Many of you need to outfit your family for the upcoming uh, spring. Kids are getting bigger. Maybe you're getting bigger or smaller. You need some new gear. You can find it at Campus Bookmark. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Okay, as I mentioned at the opening of the show, no rooting interest in many respects for uh, Mississippi State today is we have a day off, right? And uh, spring football got underway yesterday. I'll be out there Thursday. Paul Jones, Dave Murray, Robbie Falk covered for us yesterday as Mike Nemeth and I covered baseball. Uh, be sure and go check out our free content at jeanspage.com and kind of get up to date with the B. Paul does a great job keeping up with the depth chart and uh, things of that nature. Of course, uh, Dave Murray with a nice feature on Will Rogers yesterday. So while there is baseball and basketball going on, you can kind of get your football fix at jeanspage.com. Okay, tonight... In first-round SEC tournament action, 6 p.m. Central, Ole Miss will open against South Carolina. The Rebels, of course, 11-20, playing with an interim coach, 3-15 in the SEC. South Carolina also 11-20. They're a game better in SEC play at 4-14. That game will take place uh, tonight. So somebody's long and winding road will end 
this evening. It's been a difficult season in both Oxford and in Columbia. Of course, uh, Kermit Davis terminated in Oxford. A lot of discussion about who Ole Miss will hire. And a couple days ago, it was like, hey, it doesn't look like Chris Beard's going to be the guy. Now, there's a lot of talk they may be, so we'll see. The nightcap, I guess they're both at night. But LSU and Georgia, LSU finishes dead last in the SEC this year. It's interesting, too. They haven't even been sanctioned yet. Haven't even been sanctioned yet. And they're already struggling. 13 and 18 overall, 2 and 16 in the league. They will take on Georgia. Uh, Mike White's group, of course, uh, trying to find a way to get into the NIT. 16 and 15 overall, 6 and 12 in the league. Georgia needs a win tonight to kind of keep the dream alive. Now, your Bulldogs, this time tomorrow, will be playing, or by the time you listen to the show, it may be done. We're going to play Florida. That's a noon tip on Thursday. And then the matinee, Tennessee plays the winner of the Ole Miss-South Carolina game. The 6 p.m. game is Arkansas at Auburn. And then Vanderbilt, the resurgent Commodores, will play the winner of LSU-Georgia. you got to like Vanderbilt in that game. Vanderbilt's playing well. And even without Liam Robbins, I mean, we saw up close and personal even though we felt like, hey, we we're in this ball game, it always felt like Vanderbilt had control in the second half. So Vanderbilt finishes sixth in the league this year and still kind of fighting to get in the tournament. I think they're in. And, uh, of course, they get a dub here. Then they would take on Kentucky on Friday. So if your Bulldogs win tomorrow, and we, we expect them to do so, uh, we do. We're going to talk about you know the Florida Gators here shortly. But uh, the winner of that game plays number one seed Alabama at noon on Friday. And then in the matinee on Friday afternoon, Missouri, who finished fourth, Bulldogs split with the Tigers, will play the winner of the Tennessee slash Ole Miss-South Carolina game. A&M plays the winner of Arkansas-Auburn on a neutral floor. A&M exceptionally good at home. 15-3 and three in the league. you got to feel good about that. But how will they play on a neutral floor? Yeah, we'll see. So Friday is kind of moving day, you know. But uh, for us, you know, tonight is just a chance for us to sit back and watch some SEC basketball, even though it's the, the four worst teams in the league. You know, this is a fun time of year. Crazy things happen in these conference tournaments. And the good thing for State so far is a lot of teams around them on bubble watch are losing. I firmly believe... With a win over Florida, Mississippi State is in. There are some people that think we're in either way. Joe Lenardi currently has us in the last four in, and I think that's kind of assuming we beat Florida. You beat Florida and you lose to Alabama, I think you're okay. Of course, you beat Alabama, you're in great shape. Just don't expect that to be the case. So let's take a look at the Florida Gators. A lot has happened to them uh, you know, since we've uh, first seen them. And, and really the difference in the standings is that game – uh, where they get us in Starkville, a game that we should have won. They finished 9-9 and in the league. We're 8-10. and Had we defeated them, I don't even think we're having this discussion. And because of the fact the way the seeding worked out, we'd probably still be playing them. But I think you feel like, hey, this is a game that Mississippi State should win. You wonder how deep the tournament's going to go. You know, we, you don't need these bid stewards. We would need the chalk to hold everywhere else. But, uh, again, Florida, you know, in the league this year, awfully interesting. Awfully interesting. It's it's really been, you know, a season of streaks. They open up losing at Auburn. They didn't lose to AM by three. 
in College Station, played them pretty well. They beat Georgia, went at LSU, they beat Missouri. Missouri was ranked 20th at the time. So put together a three-game winning streak. They lose in College Station by two. A lot of that's Castleton, right? They come to Starkville, they beat us by two in a game that free throws were just abysmal. I I don't think we made a three-point basket in that game, if memory serves me correct. They then go blast South Carolina. They lose at Kansas State. They beat Tennessee by 13 in Gainesville and then lose their next three. They get off the schneid by beating Ole Miss, and everybody does, and then resume their losing, lose three in a row. So they lose six of seven there in a crucial stretch in February. But they've got it together here as of late. They win at Georgia by 10, and then they beat LSU uh, by 8. And, of course, those two teams, not great teams, they're playing tonight. So it's been an up-and-down year. Yeah, first-year coach, you know, things kind of, you know, it's kind of how things go. But when you start looking at this deal with, uh, with Florida, you wonder, you know, why aren't they better? All right, Colin Castleton is uh, sixth in the SEC in scoring with 16 points per game. He's a dude, and kind of as he goes, they go. Outside of that, you got to get all the way down to 30th in the league with Will Richard uh, averaging just under 11 points a game. And then Riley Kugel, of course, has come on here as of late, 9.7 points per game uh, for them. But uh, it's one of those deals you start looking at and you start thinking, you know, this is about matchups. I'd like to go back now while we're together and let's look at kind of what went wrong in the, the last time we played them. We were a different team back then, too. I, 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 you say, well, I'd love to play them again. We're about to get a chance to play them again. Would have loved to have had a chance to play them again at home. That's not how these conference tournaments work. But, uh, you know, we felt like that Florida game was winnable. It was winnable. And we had come through a very difficult stretch, right? We had lost to Alabama and Tennessee. We beat Ole Miss, lose a terrible game in Georgia, lose on the road at Auburn, and then we get beat by 11 by Tennessee. So, you know, State was not playing well at the time. We felt like Florida was a chance for us to kind of get right. We're one in five before this ballgame. We lose this one and lose to Alabama. So you, you, know, you get down to one and seven, you start turning some things around. But Castleton had 13 points against us, Richard with a dozen. Alex Fudge had seven. Kyle Lofton with six. And then uh, Marion Jones, just two. Uh, Riley Kugel with a big three with the clock winding down, had eight points, 22 minutes of action, but uh, two of five from three. And both of those were big. Also had five rebounds. Uh, in the ballgame. But uh, field goal percentage, they shot 41.8% and nearly 42% from beyond the arc, just 50% from the line. So we, we didn't lose a lot of ground there. We did make some three-point baskets. I guess I was thinking of the Auburn game. We're 4 of 17 and then 7 11 from the line. And, you know, again, you start looking at this state, just we lose by a basket, but uh, 39% from the floor. So you're losing that differential. And we couldn't we couldn't convert from three. We made four of 12 in the second half, could not buy a basket from beyond the arc in the first half. Only made 11 shots in the first half, and then 7-11 from the line. But uh, this was a very tightly contested game. It was tied four times. The lead only changed hands once, and just never felt like we could ever get over the hump. Good crowd that night, but, you know, it's like we got an early lead, and then it felt like we were chasing Florida the rest of the ballgame. They take the lead – Oh, let's see here. They take the lead with uh, just about three minutes gone in the first half. 
and just kind of nurse this thing along. You know, and they get it out to around 10 and as many as 12. And then, uh, you know, state, I guess, one stretch there late in this first half, we're down by as many as 16. But the Bulldogs failed, you know, for, you know, just wouldn't give up. We refused to yield is the phrase I'm looking for there. In the second half, again, we're chasing them. And we start kind of reeling them in a little bit. You know, you look up around the uh, 12-minute mark, and we're just down three, and then we pull even on our Deshaun Davis three-pointer. And you think, you know, we have weathered the storm here. We've survived, and Rams Davis again ties the game at 43-all. We just could never seem to get a lead. Next thing you know, four-minute mark, they pushed it out to 10. And then State narrows it back down on another Deshaun Davis three-pointer. You better expect Deshaun Davis to be a big part of their scouting plan. But it's a two-point game with a, a you know, Florida lead with two to go, and then we get a stop defensively and just can't convert. That's how, that, that's how it ended. The last basket of the ball game was a three-point basket from Deshaun Davis to make it a 61-59 game. From there, uh, Kawachi Reeves misses a three. We get a rebound, turn it over. Riley Kugel misses a three. We get a rebound. And uh, we have a chance late. Cam Matthews uh, misses a shot late, and Colin Castleton pulls it down. But no scoring there in the, the basically last you know, 90 seconds of the ball game. And so you just kind of felt like then, I mean, I wish we had one, another chance to get these guys. Well, now we have it. we got to take full advantage. We absolutely do. I mean, and again, the, the fact that here we are basically with a play-in game on March 9th. Now, our season is not going to be defined by this ballgame. We had other opportunities. But the reality of it is, is, is win and in. Win and you're in. I think everybody probably sees it exactly the way that I do. You win this ball game, get the help you need, and you're in regardless of what happens at Alabama. You know, Florida's a team, too, that's trying to extend their season. I think they're probably an NIT team. But, um, you know, we'll see how things progress. But the reality of it is you can't depend on anybody else. you got to go take care of it yourself. And that's where we are with Chris Jans. And, and let's be honest with ourselves. Beginning of the year, if I told you we would enter the SEC tournament needing to win a game to make the tournament, we don't have to win the tournament to make it, but you'd think, hey, you win a game here, you're in, and you would say, you know, first-round game's probably you know, a better opportunity. State currently 46 in the net. Not great, but not poor. You feel like you pick up a dub here. Even if you get a quad one loss to Alabama, you probably have done enough. But, you know, looking at all the people that are around us, you know, Rutgers and teams like that, I mean, you know, we, we need some teams around us to lose. We need chaos in tournaments, but we don't need any bids, to, bids stolen, right? We need teams that are kind of similarly situated as us, as us uh, dropping some ball games. The number one team in the net, if you, in case you didn't know, is Houston. And followed closely behind is Alabama and Tennessee, and you got a pair of losses to both of them. You know, you'd like to have a W in there. You know, of course, uh, you know, Baylor's a team number 12 there in the net. Arkansas is 18 in the net, Kentucky 19, A&M 23. So, you know, some decent quad one competition. Auburn's 32. You know, Auburn is kind of sitting there with us too and, uh, you know, hoping they get in. Uh, and it makes that game against Sim loom the, 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 the larger, right? 
again, we feel like we should have won. It's tough to win on the SEC road, but you, know, you feel like you should have gotten in. You know, Missouri's right behind us at 48 net, but they finish ahead of us in the standings. We split with them. They're two points behind us there in the net, and uh, you know they'll have some net building opportunities, but uh, they're not. Gonna, they got a double buy, so they're not going to get a chance to play the first couple rounds. So they can't really add any more wins until they play somebody there in the uh, quarterfinals. And so we got to take full advantage of it. It's as simple as that. I think you win and you're in. You lose and you're headed to the NIT. And I know at this point it would be a disappointment to go to the NIT because you've seen this team grow and mature and blossom under Chris Jans. And I love what Tolu Smith said about how if you if you want a coach that's going to get the most out of you, then Chris Jans at Mississippi State is your guy. And congratulations to Tolu Smith uh, for winning, um, you know, the Bailey Howell Trophy. That's, that's how it should be. Bulldogs should always own that trophy. In some years, hey, they're just a better player at Ole Miss or Southern Miss or wherever. But uh, yeah, I think Tolu Smith has had his best year as a collegiate player. I think there's any question about that. And I think, I mean, what would he have been if he'd had Chris Jans the entire four years, right? I mean, it's just incredible to think about that. But um, very, very proud of the team, just as many of you are. And it's, it's good to be excited about men's basketball again. And it's good to have people turn out for the hump. The, uh, the atmosphere at times has been incredible. And so don't know if any of you are making a trip to Nashville. But those of you that you are, please uh, be careful. Going to be a lot of rain around the south here in the next couple of days. So be careful on the road and uh, enjoy some college basketball. And, uh, again, some entertaining games tonight. I, I, I suspect they will be. But there's always that you're happy you're not playing the first day, but you're glad that their game's being played, right? It's like – Hey, this is it, man. We're, we're you know we're, we're close to March Madness, and think about how things will be this time next week, especially if State wins and finds your way into a bracket. Just imagine the excitement level around this men's program if we're able to get there this year. And again, I think the women are in. We didn't do ourselves any favor by dropping that game at Texas A&M, but I still think we're in. And uh, how cool would it be to have both teams in the tournament again uh, for the first time here in a few years? All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Brooks Bryan is my friend, your friend, everybody's friend. He is a, uh, a friend to Mississippi State. He is a friend to the greater Starkville area. He is part of a great group of developers. They're bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville, Portico. Many of you have already been by there and checked it out. Some of you already have a place here in Starkville. Some of you are enjoying living a high life. Out of Portico. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on the 12, like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You pass that road your whole life, never knowing where it went. Well, they've extended it, and now Portico is being built. You go through that four-way stop, Portico is right there on the right-hand side. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you. Maybe there are just some things that you have to have, some things that are uncompromising. You don't have to have the cookie-cutter approach that a lot of builders insist that you have. Well, this is what we're going to do. Hey, if, you've got, if you need a bigger nursery, you need a bigger office space, you want a bigger living area, they can accommodate you with it. Be sure and check them out today. Give Brooks a call or text at 601-416-8. 075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Portico, so conveniently located close to campus, just 1.1 miles away from all things Bulldog. How cool would that be to be that close after living maybe in a foreign territory outside of the great state of Mississippi and say, you know what, I'm this close to campus. 
I can go to everything. I can get season tickets for everything, and I can be there. My friends, my neighbors uh, from back home could come and stay with us. And how wonderful would it be to have your family all under one roof on ballgame weekends? It'd be amazing. Make Portico your next move. Okay, let's take a quick look around the Southeastern Conference uh, when it comes to baseball. Interesting day in the SEC, to say the least. And uh, I, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, these midweeks don't matter. They matter. I, I don't care what anybody says. They matter. If you don't think they matter, then uh, wait till it's your team that's being discussed by the Division I uh, NCAA Baseball Committee and you, you, know, you drop some game you shouldn't. And that's what keeps you out of the tournament. These non-conference games matter. I, I, it's just, just That's the reality of life. And those that suggest they don't just aren't paying attention. It'd be one thing, hey, if you're dominating, you're dominating your, uh, your conference, then the non-conference doesn't matter. But when you're a bubble team, these things absolutely matter. All right, let's take a quick look at um, kind of what's happened since the weekend. On Monday, there was one game. LSU played Butler. It's an 11-0 game. I don't, you know, listen, and somebody keeps throwing this up too. Like, oh, look at what LSU's done. LSU is great. Don't get me wrong. They're a great team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They should be. They spent a ton of money in the portal. They're doing great. But the thing that I ask myself is this non-conference schedule getting them ready. I mean, listen, Alex Box is an absolute hurricane home run deal. I mean, it just, it's a hitter's park. You know, they open up the year, and they take, uh, you know, all three from uh, Western Michigan. A couple of those games pretty competitive. They run Rural Southern. They beat Kansas State. They lose to Iowa. They beat Sam Houston. And then they win at Texas 3-0. And then they beat Butler. And uh, have uh, Central Connecticut State and Butler come in. And, and listen, those scores are gaudy. They really are. Have you ever looked at Central Connecticut State baseball? I mean, honestly. Did you know that Central Connecticut State even existed before I just said that? Did you? I would say most of you didn't. When, when, when are we starting to get excited about Central Connecticut State baseball? When, when has that become something that we're so excited about? Right? Central Connecticut State baseball. Yeah, they're 2-2 two and two overall. They just began their season this weekend. I mean, everything else has been postponed. But it's like, you know, Central Connecticut State. Oh, I know those guys. I don't. They went 29-18 last year. Give them credit for that, you know. But did you think they'd give LSU a ball, give LSU a ball game? I didn't. No, no. But anyway, so, so they, they, they wind up their little, uh, little classic down there. Taking care of Butler, uh, 11-0. And again, LSU is going to be difficult, especially on the offensive end. And especially if you got to play them in their ballpark, which we do. All right, Tuesday and uh, the Tuesday scores, Missouri beats Western Illinois, 6-0. We've had both of those teams in Starkville over the course of the last several years. And Missouri, 10-2. Good for them. Kind of glad we don't play them this year. They've, they've been the turd in the punch bowl for us the last couple of years. Kentucky beats Murray State 6-2. We're going to be at Kentucky next weekend. They're 10-2 now overall. Arkansas, again, has to come from behind here to beat Army 7-5. to 
as long as Dave Van Horn is there, this is going to be a gritty team in the, in the last three innings. It just, it just is. That's just kind of how it's going to be. But Arkansas, you know, loses a couple of pitchers to injury again over the weekend. At some point, you know it's going to add up. At some point, it catches up to you. We know. Army had 12 hits in the ballgame. Just couldn't get the big timely hit there. Vanderbilt beats Tennessee Tech 12-1. Florida in a barn burner of a game with Florida Atlantic. Florida wins 18-11. to Doesn't say much for Sully's uh, midweek pitching there. Actually, the Owls out-hit the Gators 14-11. to They also committed three errors. Georgia and Georgia Southern. You know, Georgia Southern hosted last year for the first time in school history the fighting Jared Bankos out there. Congratulations to them. Georgia wins 17-11. to Very entertaining ball game. A lot of runs scored. You don't want that if it's us, right? Boston College goes into Knoxville, and they beat Tennessee 7-6 in 10. And Tennessee's now 11-3. and three. It dropped a couple ball games opening weekend. And a lot of people were saying, hey, we, get, we meant to reassess how we feel about Tennessee. Tennessee's going to be okay. Alabama takes care of Samford, the Colton Ledbetter, less Samford Bulldogs, 11-6. And, of course, State wins 12-2 over Valpo. Auburn, an efficient 4-1 win over UAB. I worry a little bit about Auburn's offense. Texas A&M takes care of Incarnate Word, 13-5. It's more like a church league baseball game, right? South Carolina beats the Citadel 8-1, to and then Ole Miss uh, comes from behind to beat the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss 11-5. to That game played in Oxford. Uh, Southern Miss, again, I, I told you guys after we played them, I don't know how good the Southern Miss team is. I know a lot of people are trying to suggest. I just don't know, man. Um, you know, when you lose all they lost off the mound, it catches up with you. It does. And, and I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to be honest here. And it, it'd be one thing if they beat us and I had sour graves. But they're 8-4 right now. And they opened up the year 4-0 and against Liberty and then UNO, giving up three runs and four ball games. Since then, 4-4. Four and four. They lose two out of three to Illinois. They lose to us. They uh, they did take the series over Dallas Baptist. And, and, you know, Dallas Baptist is a very, very, very solid mid-major program. A lot of people think DBU is an Omaha team in waiting. And then they lose to Ole Miss. And so a pretty loud series win you know, over Dallas Baptist. And I don't know how, how good DBU is supposed to be this year, but you know, they, they traditionally always have pitchers. But – you know, I look at these numbers, and offensively, not a lot really jumps out. I mean, even like beating Liberty 3 nothing and 2-1, to one, you know, if you're a team that's supposed to be uh, bound for Omaha or a team that's competing for a Super Regional, you'd expect those scores to be a little gaudier. I mean, like even against Illinois, the five runs here, four runs there. Uh, you score, four, you win 4-3 over DBU, 2-1 over DBU. You know, you, you expect Dallas to have pitching. They, they, they traditionally do. And then just five runs against Ole Miss in a midweek game. And that's an Ole Miss pitching staff, too, that's kind of experiment a little bit in the midweek as they're kind of working through uh, some challenges with their two. And listen, Ole Miss lost a lot last year, too. But, you know, you expect them to be solid under Bianco. I'm just not sold on this Southern Miss team. And I know I've got some Southern Miss listeners, and they'll be upset with me. And I think if you're being objective, you probably agree with me. This is a team that's got some question marks. It really does. Because the offensive piece is just not just not what I thought it was going to be. Now, they'll get Valpo this weekend. You know, we saw Valpo up close and personal. 
you know, and, and Southern has a chance, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought there were a couple dudes in the Valpo lineup who could swing it a little bit. I, I, di- I was impressed with Bradley Lofton because of the fact he got so much swing and miss against a team that doesn't swing and miss a lot. So it'll be interesting to see what Southern does against them. So they'll get Valpo this weekend, and we'll see how things go. But, uh, you know, it's interesting this time of year. We're all trying to kind of figure each other out. Now, of course, uh, you know, Thursday is not a play day in non-conference. More times than not. Of course, we, you know, when you get into SEC play, we do have some weekend series that begin on Thursday, uh, thanks to the SEC Network. But uh, taking a quick look ahead, and we'll, we'll, pre, we'll, we'll do a bigger preview on Friday. But this is a pretty good weekend in the SEC. And a lot of it's because there are people that are on a different scheduling format than us. And so as a result... You know, they're playing some some teams. You know, we, we played Arizona State a couple weekends ago. Uh, Louisiana Tech goes to Arkansas. You know what a good job Lane Burroughs has done at Tech? And many of you are, you know, really fired up about the fact that they split with Ole Miss and they should have won the series. Um, but, you know, the rules are the rules. I'm not going to sit here and say that Ole, people are like, oh, Ole Miss cheated. No, Ole Miss didn't cheat. The rules are the rules, right? But Louisiana Tech going into Arkansas. You know, Louisiana Tech's a team that's hosted regionals, and Lane's got them going up there. And I think Louisiana, I think Lane Burroughs is probably maybe the next guy to get the next big Power 5 job. I think he's certainly in line for that. Former Southern Miss coach, came to Mississippi State under John Cole and did a great job here for us on the recruiting side uh, and has kind of built his own brand there. The John Cohen uh, coaching tree continues to expand. Charleston Southern to Georgia. That shouldn't be much, right? What is it, Loyola Marymount? Is it Vanderbilt? That's tough. That's tough if you're Loyola Marymount, right? I don't know what to expect from that, man. It's just like one of those things, like, why do you, why do you schedule these people, you know? Um, I guess that's just kind of part of the deal. But uh, a little bit deeper down, Moorhead State at Tennessee, Siena at Florida. NJIT is at Missouri, so Missouri should keep winning. Columbia is at Alabama. Lipscomb is at State. Kentucky goes to Southern Illinois. I don't, again, I don't know what Nick's doing, all these non-conference road trips. Um, Southeast Louisiana is at Auburn. At Southeastern, a very good G5 program. Northern Kentucky, our friends from up there, uh, will be at Texas A&M. But then Cookman's at South Carolina. Sanford's at LSU. And Purdue's at Ole Miss. And so that's a series, too. Purdue, is, could Purdue go in there and win a game or two? I don't know. You know, maybe. But, um, you know, we look at the standings here, and, of course, they don't mean anything at this point. But, uh, you know, when I start looking at the, you know, you know, State has the most losses. And to me, that's troubling before you even get into conference play. And, again, you're still trying to find out the identity of yourself. And you know you've given some games away, but you can't continue to do that. You can't keep giving games away and expect to be there around in the postseason. But uh, Alabama currently 13-0 and overall. I think this is a team that has had some very smart scheduling. I don't think they're going to hold up an SEC play. It's kind of like that team that goes out there and schedules really soft in, in the uh, non-district high school schedule. I mean, they've played Richmond, Tennessee Tech, UT Martin, High Point, Jacksonville State, Illinois, Chicago, and then Sanford. Then they get Alabama State, Columbia, they go to South Al, which may be the most difficult non-conference opponent they have before they go to Florida. So they should be a very confident team when they hit the road because, you know, listen, they're not playing a lot of close games, but they're not playing a lot of quality competition. 
And the closest game they've had was the Sunday game against High Point. They win that thing four to two. Yeah, everything else is, you know, it's been rather comfortable with the exception of a Sunday game against uh, Illinois Chicago. They won that nine seven. But uh, by and large, Alabama doing what they should do against a schedule that's uh, you know rather pedestrian in many respects. Of course, LSU eleven and one, Auburn ten and one. You always know that Bush is going to have pitchers, right? I mean, you just know that Auburn is going to have pitchers. They may not have any offense, maybe a little bit shaky on defense, but they're going to have pitching. And that's really been the case this year. I mean, Indiana puts up an 11 spot on them on that Sunday game to open the series, I mean, to end the series. But by and large, that's been it. You know, looking at that Auburn series against Lipscomb, the Saturday game, they kind of got after them a little bit. Lipscomb did. But Auburn wins that series, you know, by scores of 7-3, 12-1, and 4-3. So you had the one little slip up there, uh, you know, on Saturday. And we'll get a little closer and look at that, you know, on Friday as we preview the weekend. But, uh, you know, Auburn, you know, winning games 5-3, 4-1, things like that. You know, again, showing good pitching. Showing good pitching. There have been three teams that have scored double-digit runs against them. And uh, they're 1-1-1 in those games. It's always interesting. Ole Miss 11-2, Arkansas 10-2. And, again, the concern at Arkansas was just the health of that pitching staff. You know, uh, Tiger's a guy that initially everybody feared the worst. Now they're saying it's not quite as bad as they they first thought. I don't know what I'm willing to believe about that, but I know that I wish him the absolute best. Texas A&M's 8-4. And, And again, A&M, a lot of people thought they were kind of a sexy pick. Yeah, because of last year. And listen, they were not great last year in a non-conference, and they got hot late. But again, they hadn't really played anybody of note uh, until last weekend. You know, Seattle U, and you lose to Lamar. You lose two out of three to Portland. You kidding me? They blast the Houston Christian team, and then uh, they lose to Louisville, beat Rice, beat Texas Tech, and they beat Incarnate Words. They've won three in a row, and they'll go back to Rice, uh, you know, on Wednesday, which is tonight. And then Northern Kentucky. But it's like you, you look at all this and you just begin to question you know, this A&M team. And the thing that I look at is uh, it, it's really offense. It, it's one thing to beat up midweek pitching from Incarnate Word. And what are you going to do on the weekend against an SEC starter? I, again, I think like Alabama, and even though Alabama has navigated through the non-conference schedule unscathed, I think A&M scheduled smart but they haven't taken advantage. Look at the east side here real quick. South Carolina, very intriguing team. They're 12-1. and I'm still not sold on them. And I thought the, I think they answered some questions last weekend. Because, listen, you know, let's just kind of say for what it is, even though that, uh, you know, maybe Clemson doesn't, hadn't been the team that many expect them to be the last decade or so, they're a solid baseball team, and, and Carolina takes two of three from them. The long loss on the schedule, of course, is at Clemson for South Carolina. But, again, you look at the non-conference schedule. UMass Lowell, Winthrop, Queens, Penn, NC, A&T. And, again, the Clemson series kind of gets your attention a little bit. And then 8-1 against the Citadel. I don't know we're going to know anything about this South Carolina team until we get an SEC play. I told you guys at the beginning of the year I thought Kentucky would exceed expectations. And it's difficult to really, you know, have a good barometer about that at this point because, again, I don't know that who Kentucky has played. They lose the season opener to Elon and then put together a four-game winning streak and then lose the middle game to Wright State. 
And since then, they haven't lost. They win the Sunday game against Wright State, beat Moorhead State, and then win four in a row, uh, including a weekend series against Indiana State. Those games are all competitive. But the thing I look at is the offensive numbers. You ought to be getting fat offensively when you when you schedule as light as Kentucky does. And listen, I understand weather is a factor, but the reality of it is, is Kentucky's not scoring any runs, and they're winning games four two seven six that that kind of stuff. But you know, it, when you're when you're having to, to nip and tuck it against Indiana State, you know what are you going to do against Mississippi State? But I do think Kentucky is a very uh, gritty gutty team. Missouri, of course, uh, we talked about them a little bit earlier in the show. But uh, they are 9-2, but have actually maybe played a little more competitive non-conference schedule than some of their contemporaries. And they open up the opening weekend, and they go down there, and they lose a 5-3 ball game to Oklahoma State. They beat Texas. They beat TCU. Then it's a four-game set against Florida International. It's gotten a little bit lighter ever since then. But at least they were willing to go out and challenge themselves the opening weekend of the year and performed exceptionally well. You win a couple of one-run ball games against Power 5 opponents, and you feel like, hey, it's a good start. And so, again, you know, we'll see what happens with this uh, NJIT deal. And then they go to Lamar, or they host Lamar uh, next Wednesday before they host Tennessee. Can you imagine if Tennessee goes up there and loses that series to Missouri? Could you imagine the angst on social media? Georgia's 9-3. and three. You know, again, I'm a, I'm a Scott Strickland fan. I don't know that it would work well at Mississippi State. He always has pitchers, but, you know, offense is always somewhat challenged out there. And, and, and I, that's the thing I've always – there's no reason Georgia should ever be mediocre in baseball. I mean, honestly, with the recruiting footprint they have, it just should never happen. But, uh, they, again, they open up losing to Jacksonville State, put together a nice little uh, five-game winning streak, and they lose to Princeton 12-11 to on Sunday, speaking of pitching. And then they lose, uh, you know, the final game of that Georgia Tech series. And I, I thought that was a good weekend for them. It's because Georgia Tech has historically been, a, you know, an NCAA tournament team. They'll be back in action again tonight against Georgia Southern after taking them down uh, last night, 17-11. to 11. But, yeah, they're not going to play anybody of note until they play South Carolina. And I don't know, even after Georgia and South Carolina play, if we have any idea what either of these teams are going to be about. But I like talking about it. Like all of you, I'm interested. And Vanderbilt, of course, 9-4, and four, uh, the most losses in the East, and uh, the only team that's lost more games than them is us. And it's like you, you think about the angst, but it's like I look at the numbers here. It's like Vanderbilt's ranked seventh in the country. They're ranked seventh in the country. <laughs> they have one less loss in Mississippi State. They lose to TCU to open the year. They win a couple against Oklahoma State and Texas. They lose to Central Arkansas. And then they go on, they, they, lose, they beat UAB, then lose uh, one of three against UCLA. And that's what's happened. We've got all these West Coast voters. Oh, UCLA is supposed to be amazing. It must be great to beat UCLA. No. They had to come from behind to beat Austin P. They lose to Nebraska. I think I called that. And then uh, they beat Maryland and beat Minnesota. But it's like, I look at this, you know, again, I, I, don't, I think Vandy is just kind of okay. I think they're a good team or not great. And uh, the fact that they're still ranking in the top 10, uh, I think maybe is more an indictment on the rankings process than it is uh, on Vanderbilt. I mean, how are they seventh in the country? 
Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't – I don't – I'm not sold on Vanderbilt either. But, uh, again, a lot of baseball on today's show. And then when we get back on Friday, of course, there'll be a lot of basketball to talk about. My hope is we're still talking about college basketball on Friday. My hope is we're still playing college basketball on Friday. I don't expect that to happen. But wouldn't it be amazing if it did? So be sure tomorrow to tune in as the Bulldogs take on Florida. It's, I'm always nervous when we have to play Florida. I don't, I don't know why. I guess it's maybe, it's maybe it's the old Mississippi State mentality in me where I think, oh, they've got all these resources. But you look at the numbers and you look at the matchups, and we should have beat them the last time. We should have beat them the last time. And we were reeling back then, too. We were absolutely reeling. We weren't even sure if we could play in this league. And then it took some time, and, of course, we uh, you know, get the big win you know, over, uh, over, over TCU, and then things changed for us. So they're going to see a much more confident Mississippi State team. And I think we're going to see a pretty desperate Florida team that maybe feels like they got to go win this tournament or at least get to the finals. So it should be a good matchup. But the reality of it is, is we got to go take care of business. No matter what Florida feels about themselves, we've got to go get a W uh, tomorrow at noon. Hope you have a good rest of the day. Enjoy the college basketball tonight. And uh, kicks off a very exciting time of the year for all college sports fans. I mean, March Madness is one of the coolest things that ever happens year-round. Uh, even though I'm you know, really more of a baseball guy than, uh, than college basketball. It wasn't always the case, I guess. Uh, you know, in some respects, I guess college basketball, when we were, had some lean years in baseball, it kind of gave us something to look forward to. But um, if you're a fan of college athletics, how can you not love March Madness? And the hope that Mississippi State can be back in a bracket, that's the hope of all who cheer for the maroon and white. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilebook.com. You can get all my sports books there. That's Flim Flam, Dogpile, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains. You can find Blooms of Oleander, my book of poetry, uh, over at uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com. And uh, Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. And always come be a part of our great community over at JeansPage.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more, more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>